Uh, Matthew 10, verse 28. We're gonna, this is a verse that Larry shared in Sunday school today. Um, and it goes along with our subject of the day, uh, which is, uh, Larry talked about the fear of the Lord. And it says in verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, so let me ask you a question before we get into our verses and scriptures today. The idea is this. Uh, when you think about the afterlife and you think about when your life is over, either the Lord returning or you breathe your last breath. Do you think of that moment with fear or do you think of that moment with anticipation and peace? And so that is what we're going to talk about. We know that the Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that as we live this life, Larry brought some great verses, that we are going to be thinking about this life in the term of the fear of the Lord and making sure that when I get up, I want to obey and follow and do what Christ says because he's always right. Amen? He's always right. Therefore, I would be afraid to disobey him and to be reverent towards him. Which brings us now to 1 John chapter 4. Verse 17. We talked about God being love. We've talked about that for a couple of weeks. And verse 17 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as He is, so are we in this world. So I want you to think about the phrase boldness in the day of judgment. The Bible says that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. We have the freedom to approach God, our Lord and Savior, without fear. Why? Because we have feared the Lord and surrendered our life to Him to forgive us of our sins. The world doesn't fear God, have you noticed? They're going to. Amen? They're just going to. They're going to stand before God someday at what Revelation calls this great white throne of judgment and they will be cast into the lake of fire because their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. And if they don't fear that, they ought to. See, I don't fear what man can do to me, but I do fear the God who holds within my uh, his hand my eternal destiny. But I also know that for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whoever what believes in him will never perish but have what? I'll have everlasting life. I know that God has washed my sins away. So when I think of the judgment of God, I will stand before God someday and I will, I'm sure, be in awe. But God says, if my sins are washed away and I stand before God as a born-again believer in Christ, there's really nothing to fear. No judgment, no condemnation. Look what he says again. We can have boldness in the day of judgment. Remember, at the end times, there's a great white throne and the only judgment is whether or not you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. So that's the question I have for you. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you have, then you have nothing to fear when it comes to judgment. Your sins are washed away. You're sealed to the day of redemption. That's what we're going to talk about today. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. So where's the place of torment? Hell. And that's really the, ex- the, the description of hell is they will be tormented day and night. 
I don't know all the specifics of what hell is going to be like and what it's going to look like and how it's going to be. I know it's going to be pitch black and I know there's a lake of fire. All we have little hints throughout the scriptures. But all you need to know about hell is that there will be torment day and night. And what you need to know about heaven is there is no torment. There's no tears. There's no sorrow. There's no darkness. There's no pain. Nothing to fear in eternal life for a Christian. Everything to fear if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior. So what happens is perfect love, there is no fear in love. And here's really where it all comes to be. If you understand how much God loves you, it alleviates and takes away your fear. Now, I grew up, I won't talk much about this, and I've shared this enough times over the years, but my home was a was a place of fear. It was a place of fear. I remember um, a friend of mine, we, we drove to Arizona with a friend of mine named Mike. And the purpose of going to Arizona was to try to reconcile with my mother, who I hadn't talked to in years. And I remember... I, I'm not prone to panic attacks or anxiety in that manner, but I, we drove, or got her address, and I remember we must have drove past her house between a dozen and twenty times, and and every time we drove by, the fear that that came all the way back from childhood of never knowing when she was going to explode or, or be angry. Um, it take it took me a while, and I would say I'm not 100% there with God yet, because with God there is always that 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 semblance of, well, does He really? How can He love me? Right? You ever felt like that? That He can love me so much that you are totally and utterly forgiven, and when God sees you, He sees His very own Son. And you can cry out, Abba, Father. And that in his love, that there is no fear. And a parent should be the one you can go to, right, with no fear. They're the ones that protect you. The Bible says, fathers, provoke not your children to what? To wrath. You should be a, you should be a, a, a symbol of peace and love. And so here in verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ and you still doubt that love and you still fear like, oh, I hope I go to heaven. I, I just, I don't know. You know, I have asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I've asked Him to forgive me, but I've done so many things since I've asked Him. And what if, what if He doesn't love me anymore? What if I really don't? What if it's all a lie? What if it's all, and if that's where it is, then you never get into that perfect peace of, of taking away the fear of what's coming next. First Peter 1, 3 through 5 is on your paper. And it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy. So what is mercy? Yes. Mercy is the, the the act of not getting a punishment that you have earned. And then grace is getting a unmerited favor, a gift you don't deserve. So as a human being who is a sinner, what do we deserve? Hell. The fact that we don't go to hell is mercy. And then to be given eternal life in heaven is grace. But by God's abundant mercy, He's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance. What's an inheritance? An inheritance physically would be something you get when someone else passes away. A spiritual inheritance is what you get when you pass away. And you are either going to inherit eternal life or you are going to inherit eternal torment. 
Larry read from Joshua 24, and one thing Joshua says to the Israelites at the end of Joshua is before he dies, he says, I leave you to your own inheritance. It's up to you now. You can uh, have a, a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you are guaranteed an inheritance of eternal life. Or you can reject Christ, have no fear for him, have no consciousness about Christ whatsoever, and you will inherit an eternal life of torment. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So he says to Christians, you have an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. This is why we can face our future with no fear. Because God says your eternal life is reserved in heaven for you. And so you might say, well, Pastor John, what if I blow it? I know I've given my life to Christ and I've asked him to forgive me of my sins. But what if I fall away from God? What if I turn my back on him? What if I walk away? What then? Look what it says next. Look at verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God. How many of you have ever made a reservation that wasn't kept? You get to the restaurant, you go to the place where you're renting the car, and you say, yeah, we have a reservation for Flanagan, and they say, oh, we had to give your table away. I thought I had a reservation. Oh, your room, we had to give your room away. Oh, your car that you've reserved was given out. Well, then they don't really understand the definition of the word what? Reservation. Because we're relying on on flawed human beings to keep our earthly reservations. But who keeps your reservation in heaven? Look at verse 5. The reservation in heaven is kept by what? The power of God. That's a pretty good guarantee, isn't it? If God says, I reserve for you an incorruptible inheritance in heaven, look what it says. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God says, oh, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard what God's prepared for you. God has something amazing waiting for you. Reserved and kept by God's power. And so when it comes to the judgment of eternal judgment and damnation, if you are a born again Christian who has given your life to Jesus Christ, you have nothing to fear at that day. There is no fear in judgment. Why? Because God loves you. And that love casts out fear. Look at 2 Timothy 1.7 also on your paper. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see, this is how fear works. If you walk your life, it's kind of like the, the idea of blindness when God says, until you realize that you are blind spiritually, you will never be able to see. And that it has nothing to do with your physical eyes, but spiritual eyes. There are those, when you think that you see spiritually, oh, I know how the universe works. If I'm just a really good person, then I'll go to a better place. Guess what? You may think that you see the future clearly, but you are blind. It's the same with fear. If you say, I have nothing to fear, there's nothing out there after I die, just go nowhere. I don't have any, I'm not worried about when I die, there's nothing out there. You better fear. Because you have plenty to fear. But if you say, oh God, I am throwing myself under the mercy of God because I fear because of my sin that I am doomed for eternal torment. God, I give my life to you as my Lord and Savior. Then that love of God will cast out that fear and you can have peace in what is to come in the future. Does that make sense to everybody? Turn, if you will, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 28. And we know 
that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So Romans 8.28, all things work together for good to those who love God. Now, if you make the statement that, hey, everything works out okay, that's not true. It, It doesn't always work out okay for people. It works out okay for those who love God and are doing his purpose. For whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So this foreknew is God obviously knows ahead of time before the foundations of the world who those are that are his. And when you give your life to Christ, you now are on a road of destiny. And your destiny has been predetermined by God. And you are predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Do you know that you're going to be like Christ someday? Can you imagine that? No sore shoulders, no vertigo. No sin. Can you imagine yourself with no sin? No sinful thoughts, no sinful desires. To be like Christ. If you're a Christian today, that's your destiny. And you can't mess it up if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. He has predestined us to become conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn of many brethren. Moreover, what do you mean moreover? How can there be more? Who He predestined, He called. Who He called, He justified. What's it mean to be justified? It means that God has wiped your sins away and now God sees you and sees me just as if I'd never sinned. Can you believe that? That God sees me just as if I'd never sinned? That's why I have no reason to fear judgment because God has already washed my sins away and taken them away. He's thrown them as far as the east is to the west. Because of the work of Christ and the blood of Christ that has washed my sins away, I can can be bold in the day of judgment. Because I'm not standing before God based on what I have done. I'm standing before God based on what His Son has done for me. That changes everything, doesn't it? And whom He justified, these He also what glorified. And that's where we're headed. To be glorified, to be like Christ in our glorified bodies and in, in whatever we are going to look like and be like in heaven and how old we're going to be and what temperature it's going to be and what we're going to eat if our pets are going to be there. I don't know, but I've been asked all those questions dozens of times. I just know I'm going to be like Christ. Amen. Oh man, it's amazing. Look at verse 31. What shall we say then? If God is for us, then what? Is God for us? Because perfect love, which is what God has for you, should cast out your fear. He loves you. Let's go back to 1 John 4. This is the part that's really hard, and I can never kind of get this across. Is Is... Because every time you talk about this subject, about how much God loves you, that your sins are washed away, you can have boldness in judgment, then somebody thinks in their mind, yeah, but what about? Well, what if? Look at verse number 19. We love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. When we're talking about love, when you really understand how much God loves you, and and I don't know that that I'm quite there yet. You know, there's too many little flaws in in in, in myself, and and so there's little cracks in my confidence of Christ's love for me. Does that make sense? And because of that, the more you know and the more you understand how much Christ loves you, then two things happen. One, you get boldness and confidence in your salvation and you get a hope of what's next the next thing that happens is verse 20 
If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment that we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So here's how this works. Once I understand how flawed I am, what a sinner I am, and that what I deserve is eternal punishment and torment because of my sinful flesh. And then I realized that God demonstrated his love towards me that while I was still a sinner, he died for me. Not only did he die for me, but he put me in the palm of his hand and he will protect me there until the day of redemption. And that I have nothing to fear in judgment because God's love uh, gives me the confidence that when I die, he'll be there like the, the, the father with the fatted calf. And when I understand that God loves me no matter what I do as his child, then I will in turn begin to love others with that same type of attitude. Does that make sense? You see, if you think you deserve God's love because you're such a great person, then you're only going to love people who you think are great people. Does that make sense to everybody? But if I realize that I am flawed and a sinner and yet God sent his only son to die for me even though I don't deserve it then I will in turn tend to give my love to people whether they deserve it or not and then I will tend to be more Christ like in that area so how you picture God's love for you has a direct effect on how much you truly love those around you and how you see them which is why God says in 2 Corinthians 5 that because we're a new creatures, we now see no person according to the flesh. So turn, if you will, to uh, Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to do something in this chapter. This chapter is amazing. And we're going to start in verse 3. And then we're going to be done because this chapter needs no commentary from some gray-haired guy. It, it just speaks for itself. And we're going to start in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Every blessing you have comes from God. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will. There's that word predestined again. It is your destiny to do what? Look at verse 4. To be holy and without blame before Him in love. This is why you can have boldness. Because you're going to stand before Him, not in your works, but in Christ's love. That He has washed your sins away and deemed you blameless. We're not bold because we're Christians and because we're so great and we're from the greatest country in the world and that means God loves us better than everybody else. That's all a pack of lines. God loves you because He sees His Son in you. And without His Son, the Bible says He doesn't even know who you are. I never knew you depart from me, workers of iniquity. Look at verse 5. Or verse 6. To the praise and glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Why are you accepted? Because God deemed you accepted. You didn't earn it. Not of works as any man should boast. And we stand before God guilt-free, blameless because of what Christ did. In Him we have redemption. Through what? His blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of what? 
His grace. It was His blood. It's His grace. It's His mercy. It's His work on the cross. You did nothing to earn it. You did nothing to, to be decreed anything special. It is Christ who is special. But we can boldly stand in the judgment because of what Christ has done for us. Look at verse number eight. And he made, and he, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. I don't know why God made known to me the gospel. I don't know why. I was just roaming through this life a little bit dark, a little bit blinded, a little bit weary. And then all of a sudden, God made known to me salvation. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he will gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So what's all gathered together? All things in Christ. If you're in Christ... You can have boldness in the day of judgment. If you're not, you should live every day in fear and not wait another second before you surrender your life to Christ in humility, begging him to forgive you. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, very important. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So what do you have to do in verse 12? You got to trust in what the gospel says. Trust in the work of Christ. John 3.16 is very simple. Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. If you trust in that, then you have nothing to fear in the future. If you're trusting in yourself, you ought to be scared. You ought to fear what the future holds for you. Verse 13. In him who also trusted after what? You heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. In whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What a verse that is. That's an incredible verse. Faith cometh by hearing hearing by the... You are all sinners. And the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. That God, while you were yet sinners, died on the cross. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe He's risen from the dead, you will be saved. And if you truly believe that and have given yourself over to that truth, the Bible says you're sealed now by the Holy Spirit. So you don't have anything to fear in judgment. So if you're still working on trying to get yourself saved, it doesn't work that way. It's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but what Christ has done. But if you are, are, are sealed and, and loved in Christ, Satan will cast doubts every single day and accuse you and make you feel as if you're not even sure whether you're a Christian or not. And that is what produces the fear. God wants to take that away. Verse 14. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory? It's not guaranteed by what we do. God is the guarantee. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, mentioning you in my prayers daily. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling. What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. So Paul says, now I'm praying for you that you'll fully understand everything that's waiting for you. Do you fully understand it? It'll cause you to not fear death. It'll cause you to not fear what, what, what God can do to you, but you will just fear the, what, what Him in, in an awe and a reverence to be obedient to Him. Verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe? Verse 19, again, 
This is specific promises to only those who believe. I don't know what you believe today. But if you believe that the Lord Savior Jesus Christ died for your sins and rose again the third day and that he has forgiven you of your sins, then God wants you to know that you have this eternal life reserved for you. According to the working of his mighty power, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. So now that Jesus rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of God, do you know what the Bible says he's doing? He's making intercession for you, Romans 8. That he sits at the right hand of God making intercession for you. Isn't that amazing? Verse 21, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. Paul says to them, Ephesians, he says, boy, you're sealed. God has done the work. It's by his blood that he purchased you and he saves you and he keeps you. Not only you, but all those that are to come. That's you and I. We're mentioned in that verse. We have this same promise. And he put all things under his foot, uh, under his feet, and gave to him to be head over all things, even the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. So here we see Christ being the head of the church. Now look at Ephesians chapter 5. We'll close with these verses. We read them already today. Verse 25. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Verse 26, you're the church, right? If you're a Christian today, say amen. Amen. Then you're in verse 25, you're the church. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. So when you hear the word and hear the gospel and you receive it and accept it as truth, then you are washed by that word. And verse 27 says that he might present her, the church, to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she should be holy and without blemish. This is why you have no fear in judgment because you have the Beulah, the marriage, the love of God in which your sins are washed away and you are going to be presented to God blameless and perfect. However, if that's all a bunch of junk to you and that's all just a story to you, something your kids told for kids or something that cucumbers, tomatoes talk about, then you have much to fear. Because if you are not born again and you are not a Christian, nothing we talked about applies to you today except the verses on torment. However, I have some good news for you, and that is you're still breathing. And as long as you're breathing, the opportunity for you to have your sins washed and forgiven and be in that palm of God's hand is still available to you. And all you have to do is ask him. All you have to do is go to him, confess to him that you're a sinner and that you want him to forgive you and that you believe that he died for you, was buried and rose again. That's all you got to do. doesn't help to have you raise your hands or come forward. I could have you stand up and repeat after me. But unless it's from the heart, it doesn't matter. So go talk to God if you're not sure, if you're still doubting. And go see what God has for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this confidence. We thank you so much, Lord, that if we really truly understand how much we are loved by you in spite of our sins... It will help us to look at other people differently. It will help us to be more loving, more peaceful, more joyful, more confident. And, and Lord, it'll, it'll, uh, as our fear of you in, increases, our fear of the afterlife decreases. And, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would help us to grow in that, to, in the knowledge of how much you care for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have Silas and the rest come, and we're going to do... Um, The last one that we did, Give Me Jesus, we'll go ahead and sing that song. Let's stand as we sing this morning.
the last stanza of this song is and when I die just give me Jesus if you have Jesus then there's no fear in death As for singing this song, it's a good time. I don't know where you're with, with stand with Christ if, if you've asked Him to be your Lord and Savior or not. Or maybe you're a Christian, but you just have a lot of fear. You just have a lot of doubts. How do you know? Uh, maybe you've been taught before that your salvation can be taken away from you. It can't. If it's everlasting life, everlasting means it doesn't end. If God says nothing will separate you from the love of God, then you're not going to be separate from God. So just talk to him as we sing and uh, and let God deal with you in that manner. In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus, you can have all this Give me Jesus And when I am alone And when I am alone And when I am alone Give me Jesus Give me Jesus Give me Jesus You can have all this world Give me Jesus And when I come to die and when I come to die and when I come to die give me Jesus give me Jesus Give me Jesus, you can have all this world. Give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. You can have all this world Give me Jesus You can have all this world Just give me Jesus Uh, we want to thank you for coming today. We are going to go to our communion at this point. If you cannot stay, don't forget there's milk in, in the other building. There's meat in the second uh, room to the left as you're going out through the kitchen, and there's bread back there also. If you are staying for communion, go ahead and have a seat, and we'll go to it right at this time. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 11 as we go to our...
Um, so I want to share a verse with you from 1 Corinthians 11, and it has to do with what we're talking about today. And it is, uh, um, fear is a thing that Satan uses uh, greatly. And Larry did such a great job today of talking about the, the, the need of the fear of the Lord. Um, because without that fear of the Lord, we'll never come to Christ. If you don't, if, if you don't think there's anything after this that's, that's going to harm you or hurt you or God's not existent or you can live in sin and, and don't think there's going to be recompenses and, and, and consequences, uh, it's a horrible way to live. But there's also the idea of the peace that comes of, of, and remember the verse today was specifically talking about boldness in judgment when we stand before God uh, to be judged for our sins. The sins are gone. So the other place we have fear is in verse in chapter 11, um, verse 27. Um, let's look at verse 26. It says, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will claim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and then let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. And so those verses have for years created fear at the Lord's table. Well, if I, if I, what if I eat the bread wrongly, like it says, and then I might die, I might get sick, and, and the idea is this. If this is a ceremony that you believe is, is going to somehow grant you favor with God, or save you. Well, and, and by the way, there are, there are denominations who take communion as the way of salvation. That you're, we're way off there. The purpose of this um, ordinance and this celebration is for Christians who are already saved to remember and never forget the love of Christ, the broken body, and the shed blood. If this is being used for you to either be saved or have some kind of a religious experience, that's not the purpose of it. And that's what was happening if you read 1 Corinthians 11. They were so off, they were getting drunk, and the poor were not eating. And he says, look, if, if, if this is all done for show, then you are, look what the verse says, um, for he, verse 29, um, if you drink, eat or drink in an unworthy manner and drinks judgment to himself. Remember, we're just told that we can have boldness in the day of what? Judgment. It is Christ that makes you free of the judgment of sin. His blood washes it away. And if you eat the wrong cracker or do it differently or not say the right things or not dress properly, I've heard them all for communion, that, oh boy, you just ate damnation to yourself. That's not what it's talking about. The only way that there is ever damnation to you is if you do not receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So the only thing it can mean is that if you're thinking this is what saves you, then you're wrong. This is a reminder of how gracious, merciful, and wonderful our Lord was when he took our place on the cross to wash our sins away. This do in what? Remembrance of me. All right, so if I could have uh, the men come at this time, Larry and uh, Dave, would you come and take Don's spot? Thank you. And uh, so the first we'll start with the body. And again, why the cross? Why the crucifixion? You know, why to, to have his body beaten and bruised? And it's just the, the, the testimony of his love, isn't it? The lengths that he would go to for us to be forgiven and have those sins washed away. Uh, so, Dave, if you would ask the blessings on the bread, please. Dear Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to remember you and taking communion. 
Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11 says, For I received from the Lord which I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Remember, the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. If you remember Cain and Abel, that that Cain brought an unacceptable offering to God. And God says to him in Genesis 4, If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not well, sin lies at the door. And it's desirous for you, and you should rule over it. See, if Cain would have brought the proper sacrifice, he would have had nothing to fear. But because he wouldn't, sin overtook him. And he'd had no fear of the Lord. If he did, God said, you would have been accepted. Without the shedding of the blood of Christ, we can never be accepted by God. But without, with the shedding of the blood, we are justified and redeemed through his blood, do you see? So when we take the cup, this is the very thing that makes you and causes you to be able to stand boldly in the day of judgment because of the work of Christ and his shed blood. So Larry, could you ask the blessings on the cup, please? Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, this memorial service of the sacrifice of our Lord, as we take this symbol of his precious blood. Help us to remember it's the only way in which we pay for our sins. And we thank you for your sacrifice, the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross in his name.
Verse 25 says, In the same manner he took the cup, saying after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Then Matthew 26.30 says, They sung a hymn and went out. So we'll stand and just sing the first stanza of Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day. God bless you. Don't forget, milk in the other room, meat in the freezer, and bread on the table.